cooked up a few things tonight in the cauldron for the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. We've got the latest on the pandemic from Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, whether or not you should vaccinate the little monsters, plus tinnitus. And Dr. June stirs up some advice on the seven must-have beneath-the-sheets conversations between you and your spouse. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. He's an associate professor at the College of Medicine and Allied Health Sciences at the University of Sierra Leone. Dr. Kinderchuk's research focuses on circulation, transmission, and pathogenesis of emerging viruses that pose the greatest threat to global human and animal health. And we are in a pandemic right now. Dr. Kinderchuk joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk. Good evening, Maureen. Week upon week upon week, the second Halloween now, we are... Uh, in a pandemic, things are a little bit different this Halloween than last Halloween. We're hearing um, people last speaking in retrospect that they put out a bucket of candy last year and had people come to it with a little hand sanitizer. This year, people are wearing masks, maybe greeting some of these little goblins at the door. Um, but nonetheless, this pandemic, COVID, what we're learning changes, what we're doing changes, um, and the National Advisory Committee on Immunization came out uh, this week. What, um, what are the most poignant points uh, of their message? Yeah, you know, I think there's a few things, right? I mean, the, the first being that certainly there, there's an appreciation that we do see certainly signals uh, of immune waning in, in older populations. And this is something that, that we've been concerned about for a while. Um, you know, how quickly that happens, I, I think, is still certainly up for some debate uh, based on, on the intervals of, uh, of dosing that we've used in Canada. But I, I think with Delta, what we want to ensure is that people are protected. So you're seeing a move to getting people that live either, you know, in congregate settings or those that are in, uh, you know, in higher age groups, getting third do- doses out to, to those individuals. And, and on top of that, certainly for uh, Indigenous communities, so whether First Nations or Inuit or Métis, um, we are seeing a, a push for, for third doses. Um, for, for adults in those communities, uh, healthcare workers that are dealing with patients, um, at least for recommendations. So these are all things that I think are a general move towards looking at this from a spectrum of who is at highest risk for potential breakthrough infection or who might face immune waning. And, and this list will continue to grow. We, we have to appreciate that certainly those that are at highest risk for severe disease um, it does not encompass just people that are above a certain age. Uh, you know, certainly there are a number of underlying uh, conditions and, and obviously people that are immunocompromised fit within there, but also other individuals as well. So I think that list is going to broaden out. Um, but, but I think it's a perspective of how can we get doses out to people quickly uh, to, to try and, and make this as advantageous as possible. Because a lot of Canadians are living like the pandemic is over. We're seeing indoor sporting events. We're seeing concerts fully packed, nobody wearing masks. And some people are haunted um, by what is to come, especially over the winter. Uh, What is Christmas celebration and Hanukkah celebrations? What are they going to be like? 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question, right? I mean, listen, we, I think for everybody, we have to appreciate that this has been not, not only a physical toll on, on all of us, but of course, there's been a massive mental health toll, right? I mean, certainly in, in my own family, I mean, we've been in between two provinces and, and we're still getting used to this idea of being able to be around people, being around family and, and making those calculations of risk assessments as far as, you know, who is in older age groups and who do we need to be concerned about? Who do we, you know, who are we comfortable with? Um, all of these things are, are going through everybody's minds uh, across Canada. So I think we, we have to appreciate that, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of emotion involved in this. And, and we're going to have, you know, certainly those instances of not maybe feeling comfortable in situations. Um, certainly, I'm not comfortable with the idea of going out to, to indoor concerts without masks yet. I think that there's certainly, you know, we, we, even with the vaccine mandate, we have to, we have to be somewhat cautious with, with everything. And certainly this is based on, on local transmission rates. Uh, we have to appreciate Canada as a wide and very large country. Um, so what is going on in one province is not necessarily the same as what's going on next door and in the next. So it, uh, it, it continues to be a bit of a battle. And, and I think we have to continue making good choices and, and really going through the, that decision process um, and not getting into this mindset that we're back in 2019. Exactly. I've got Ken from Winnipeg on the line. Good evening, Ken. Oh, hello, Maureen. It's nice to hear your show again, and I know you're very helpful to everyone. Um, I'd just like to ask you, in my specific case, I've got tremors, and uh, it was caused by a blood clot. Now, my doctor told me he's putting me on the right medications. I haven't had any side effects or anything there. But what can I do in the future here? to uh, alleviate this problem where I can't get the inoculations? Or should I? You know, that's probably a conversation that you should have with your doctor um, because it's difficult to, you know, A, provide a diagnosis over the airwaves <laughs> um, and yeah. but because we may not have all the information. But um, so are you curious, uh, are you wondering if you should get uh, the vaccination or not? Are you talking about the third shot or yes i have haven't had anything except the only flu shot i've had in manitoba that's that you've had the flu shot but you haven't had dr kinderchuk do you want to weigh in on uh, my, my biggest thing, yeah i mean maureen you, you hit the nail on the head right listen i, I am just a phd virologist so i i can't provide any medical information certainly talk to your health practitioner um the other aspect is of course you have options as far as non-pharmaceutical interventions to continue to use and i think certainly you know being here in manitoba you know, the, the position in Winnipeg is certainly different than either the Southern Health region or even the Northern Health region. But we have to appreciate that we are not dealing with zero COVID in Winnipeg. It's still it's still certainly in, you know, in, in, in different communities, um, even though it's not transmitting that broadly. So continue to take those precautions and, and please reach out to your, your health care practitioner. OK, so what you're basically telling me now, as long as I wear my uh, proper mask, which I do everywhere I go, and I wear the latex gloves, and I sanitize. It's, you don't know, be honestly, around anybody who's sick yeah, either. Yeah, yeah, the, it, it, and a lot of it is about this idea of, of ventilation in closed settings, right? So masks, mm-hmm. masks are helpful, but they're not 100% uh, you know, protective in terms of being a barrier. Same thing with, with hygiene. So it, it's about the additive effect. Uh, and certainly in, in your position with not being vaccinated, you want to be as cautious as possible. Yes. And you want to maintain that physical distance also. And yes. 
and not yep. go to indoor restaurants. They're finding a lot of transmission uh, for people who are eating it in indoor restaurants. But I, I've noticed that they're closing up some of the outdoor restaurants in certain cities again going along with a lot of people thinking that this is over and i i think it's far from over myself i think we've we've made great strides but i think it's far from over i tend to agree with you i'm very cautious about this caution is the best thing as as prevention yep you don't want to go the other way because i don't want to end up in a hospital yeah, absolutely. And definitely have a conversation with your primary care doctor, your uh, healthcare practitioner, because uh, there are very few uh, restrictions on the vac- medical restrictions on the vaccine. So it's a very important conversation to have. And I'd encourage you to do that. One more thing I'll let you uh, know before I leave you. Like, I know you're very busy. Uh, the kids are coming out of high school, they're not wearing masks. Apparently, they're supposed to wear masks in school, but they're uh, walking down the streets and they're uh, gathering in front of restaurants and places. There's less transmissibility outdoors. Um, And you know what? It's very hard to, uh, I've seen that myself, it's very difficult to get high school students to do anything, let alone wear a mask. (laughs) Now, Dr. Kinderchuk, I know that you have younger children, so you may not appreciate the teenager, (laughs) the adolescent. I I remember my teenage years, so (laughs) I I certainly know where you're coming from, Maureen. (laughs) I was a good good witch, always. (laughs) Okay, well, I won't go there. But no, that's what I did. I put out the Halloween trees tonight, and I told them to save the COVID uh, distance, and... uh, I was sitting in my garage while they were helping themselves with the treats. And That's they nice. Crossed the line to go to the house, and I says masks are required. Like I don't know why none of them had masks over yeah. their uh, costumes. Yeah, I know it's not it's not easy, and and everybody makes their own decisions based on time of life and and beliefs and and all sorts of things. But but uh, Ken, I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much. You as well. You have a great night, Maureen. You guys are doing a great job. Remember that. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. My guest is Dr. Jason Kinderchuk. You've heard his voice on the program before. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Kinderchuk. Absolutely. We were talking about adolescence, and uh, basically I always say anyone who can raise teenage boys can do anything. (laughs) And if you can raise teenage girls, oh my gosh, superstar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, let's get down back down the ages a little bit, uh, age 5 to 11, the angels. <laughs> the FDA on Friday authorized the use of Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine for children in this age category. And, and this will make shots available to, you know, 28 million children in the U.S. Um, and ultimately in Canada. What, uh, what are your initial thoughts on vaccinating five to 11 year olds. Yeah, listen, I, I, you know, obviously I'm biased, right? I mean, I think that I've been, you know, kind of talking about this idea for a long time, as have many, many others, um, that, you know, while we seem to consider that kids are, you know, somewhat you know, immune and refractory from, from being infected by this virus, the reality is that they're not. Um, certainly, you know, looking at, at data from Saskatchewan from today, and, and really that's, you know, been leapfrogged from, from other regions, uh, certainly around Canada, you know, there was a third of the cases that were announced today were, were in kids uh, under the age of 12. 
Um, not all those kids ended up hospitalized or having severe disease. We certainly know that that age group has lower frequencies of severe disease, but they get sick. And certainly when we looked at, um, you know, last week, the, the FDA having their advisory committee meeting and agreeing to, uh, to the authorization and now pushing it on to, to CDC for this week, um, you know, part of the argument for this was based on the fact that hospitalizations amongst kids actually have been a concern in the U.S. And certainly when you look at it as compared to influenza, the data actually is pretty striking. We, we can't get lost in, in, this, uh, in this feeling that, that COVID is innocuous in kids. It certainly is, is anything but. So I, I'm certainly happy to see it moving forward. I understand uh, many, many parents, I think, uh, you know, resignation at this point to, to wait to want to see additional data. Um, I think that everybody wants to ensure that kids are safe. Um, but hopefully with, with the data that comes out and, and the authorizations and certainly the, the meticulous overviews that the different, uh, the different agencies do, that we will get people that, that feel comfortable with getting their kids vaccinated. Oh, absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot of reluctance. And in fact, if you are one of those reluctant parents to vaccinate one of your little goblins, give us a call. The number to call is one 399 That's one 399 9898 One of the most heart-wrenching things for a parent is when their child is sick and to think that this could be preventable. I mean, this is a, a disease that has been politicized. Um, there have been there's been so much misinformation online about it. There's misinformation that uh, there are micro, we have all been microchipped. Um, and so parents who firmly believe that, I mean, there are people who absolutely believe this. Um, they're not going to want to inoculate their children because they're thinking, they're going to be thinking that their child is being microchipped. Yeah, and I think there's still a feeling too that you know people have you know gained kind of been built up on this feeling that that kids were essentially immune to this disease. And yes, you know a lot of kids have, have done very well; they haven't ended up in the hospital, which is great. Um, but a lot of kids have, and you know, and certainly looking at the U.S. between you know five to eleven year olds, looking at the data right now, you know, there's 8,600 hospitalizations and 143 deaths within that age group. And then if you look at zero to 18, it's been you know 650 plus. Uh, deaths in the U.S. so far. So it's not insignificant. And I think that's something we need to consider is that this is now a vaccine-preventable disease. Um, so if we have an option at, at, at keeping kids from ending up hospitalized, um, and it also provides a, a benefit to the community in, in regards to stopping transmission, I think we have to err on the side of caution and, and look towards that as being something that actually is, uh, is a good public health measure. Absolutely. And yet there it doesn't look like at least now and things could change that they're going to be mandated uh, for school entrance like many other vaccines. We're, unfortunately, we're running out of time as we do every Sunday night, Dr. Kinderchuk, but I really appreciate your time and especially coming on the show on Halloween. <laughs> Thanks, Maureen. Have a, have a good rest of the Halloween evening. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath haunting you on this Halloween night. Um, <laughs> hope you're having a great evening. If you have any questions, the number to call, one 399 That's one 399 You can also text me there as well. You can email me in confidence at nursetalk at hotmail.com. Uh, you know, sometimes you may not have those important conversations that you need to 
with your partner, your spouse, your lover, your friend, your friend with benefits, whomever. Uh, joining me on the line tonight is Dr. June Hall. She's effective, affectionately known as Dr. June. She's the founder of Time to APT, Accentuate Positive Thinking, which facilitates personal and professional development workshop. She's also a nationally syndicated advice columnist with tri- Tribune Content Services. She's a public speaker and host of her own YouTube show, Cooking Up Advice. Good evening, Dr. June. Good evening. What have you got cooking up in the cauldron tonight? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We won't exactly. tell. There yes, might be children wandering around still. There there might be children or <laughs> monsters running around there. And, you know, the children can certainly be monsters and that can impact a relationship. I was thinking about a um we were talking about teenagers and uh I was thinking about a time recently, a friend of mine said to me, uh, you would, you'd never believe what my son did. And I said, try me. She said, I looked out in the backyard <laughs> and there were these burn marks on the lawn. And I said, fireball croquet. She said, how did you know? <laughs> I said, because, because I know about fireball tennis. And I just assumed, <laughs> um, you know, when one of mine was, I, he was going out to play tennis. I thought, this is awesome. I love tennis. I'm so happy you're going to play tennis until I found out it was fireball tennis that he was playing. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> monsters, as I said. And they only call them monsters on one night of the year. That is so wrong. Anyway, my trick, though, is um, is to ground them on Halloween. Make sure they've done oh, something no. wrong and you ground them. <laughs> anyway, and that works incredibly well for, you know, parenting tips with Maureen McGrath. Um, but, uh, Does that mean no get... candy for them? <laughs> All the candy they want. I don't really, you know, we... <laughs> we'll still collect the candy so the mother can eat it. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh, I think Halloween is dangerous for teenage boys, uh, nonetheless. <laughs> but I digress. Um, you know, I, I've invited you on tonight because I... You know, there are so many conversations that couples don't have and that can lead them into having extreme difficulty with communication and in, and especially in their intimate life, in their sex life. Um, you know, and, and oftentimes people will beat around the bush with this particular subject. But these subjects are, that you and I are going to talk about tonight, they are critical subjects. Many people don't know how to bring them up or when to bring them up, but they're so important all throughout the relationship. And um, and the one is sexual health. I, I do a lot of work in sexual health. You answer a lot of questions around sexual health. Why is it important that couples open up the conversation uh, around sexual health at any time of life? Sex is actually a connection between couples and no that's not the only thing obviously in a relationship you need to have more than that but it is one of the important factors to connect the couple and it can be a disconnect if there's not the right type of communication because then one may be thinking one way the other is thinking another and then that can cause a void in the relationship Absolutely. And, and, you know, sexual health, I see this in my clinical practice, which I'm doing virtually online these days, um, 90%. Um, you know, I, I see that, you know, one will talk about the 
others' sexual dysfunction, but they don't talk. They'll talk to me about it, but they won't talk to each other about it. And I sense a lot of shame and embarrassment, and that's why they won't have that conversation or raise that uh, conversation. And you know, even if they've come to me for bladder problems, you know, kind of at the very the last thirty seconds, they're like, "Oh, and I also have erection function issues," you know, and it's like okay, um, that'll be for the next time. But why is it that we have embarrassment and shame around sex with the, with the person that we are the closest with, the most intimate with, the person who's seen us naked? We haven't been taught. And there are some people, Maureen, that they really haven't seen their partner naked. Their partner may, you know, may only want to have sex in pitch black <laughs> darkness. That is true. Um, depending on how Fully they clothed. were reared or their, exactly how yep, they were yep. reared, what, you know, how their parents talked to them, if, you know, if it was taboo, whatever, um, they have not been taught to speak about it. I for I mean, my dad was a, a pastor, but he was not, he and my mom, thankfully, were not the kind of people that did not have full conversations with us. And I mean, I really appreciate that because a lot of times in those situations, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so taboo. But they were able to say, this is natural. You know, they talked about, you know, what was uh, right and what was wrong. And it was great. And I think that a lot of times it's not talked about in the home. And so it's carried on to the children. Exactly. Um, and, you know, in some homes it's it's not talked about at all. In others it's not talked about until it's way too late. Um, mm-hmm. In others it's not talked about until people are in their 20s. And then sometimes it's it's never, ever discussed. But something else that is an important subject that people wouldn't think to talk about or often, you know, leave this one uh, out of the bedroom is the turn-ons and the turn-offs. And really discussing what gets each person going in the bedroom. I realize it can be a difficult or challenging or uncomfortable conversation, but it is a talk people will be glad that they had. Um, you know, what do you think, you know, how important is it that a partner knows exactly how to touch you and that you know exactly how to please that partner in return? You have to make it fun. That is a part of the problem. It is, it can be a serious and touchy situation um, and conversation. You don't want to offend your partner. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And, and that's a part of it because you want to be with this person. So it's like, well, I better not do anything to jeopardize the relationship. But it's going to come out one way or the other. And most likely it's going to be in a negative way when it's not discussed. And then the person is going to find out anyway that you're unhappy. And so that's why you need to do it. But it can be in a fun way. I mean, you can use dolls, you can use um, movies. And when something happens, you can say, hey, don't you see what they're doing? Isn't that great? Or, Ooh, I don't want you do ever do that to me that can you know it can be done that way that can lead into a more intimate conversation um if it wants to be a more direct conversation then you can use as i said pictures you can use dolls you can talk about where to touch not to touch what's the life dislikes and so to make it less intimidating and less stressful when you're having that discussion 
And as we know, fatigue is the number one reason for low sexual desire for men and for women. And the pandemic has brought with it a whole new level of fatigue, especially for women. Guys, I know you're tired out there. (laughs) But really, uh, for women, you know, there were so many more duties added to it. And then in and amongst, perhaps at the beginning of the pandemic, wiping off boxes of food that came into the house, making sure everybody um, was homeschooled, maybe working inside and outside of the home as well. And so many people view it as a duty, and oftentimes that duty goes unfulfilled. It's, it's, I, I appreciate um, you know, making sex fun, but when someone's exhausted, it's difficult to make it fun. And then, and then also, um, you know, people will, it's, it's also a biological drive. Uh, It's a, um, you know, it's a stress relief for many people. I mean, sometimes it's just a quickie, but a quickie goes a long way, um, you know, for a couple, Uh, but it can be a very much a source of tension uh, for couples. Have you seen, are people asking you different questions given the pandemic? Are you seeing a change or, you know, less tolerance or more frustration? What are questions, what questions are you being asked these days? Well, there's definitely less tolerance, but it's just less tolerance in general Uh because everybody, the anxiety and stress about life in general has gone up. So of course that impacts the relationship. And are, are, if there are you were seeing other a lot problems, of, are there are, are uh-huh. people? Are you seeing a lot of problems where? Sorry to interrupt you, but um, pr- problems where one couple is vaccinated, the other isn't. One one person in the couple is vaccinated, the other isn't. One wants to get. I mean, I have a couple in my clinical practice. She is immunocompromised, and he will not get vaccinated. It's a source of tension. No, I have not had where one is and one's not. There have been where one started out and the other was not, but then they convinced them and it, and it worked out where both. I have not had couples where they have, that has lingered. So I'm fortunate in, in that where I haven't received those types of questions. Are you one of those couples out there? If you are, love to talk to you. one 877 That's one 877 You can ask a question of Dr. June. She's an advice columnist. Um, because who, you know, really is going to get excited about hopping into the sack with somebody who is not vaccinated? Because if they're not vaccinated, they're likely not wearing a mask when they're out in public, and they're likely not going along with all of those other uh, you know, strategies, mitigation strategies um, for this. But uh, but give us a call. I know this was a big source of stress for this particular couple. Um, and, and there are so many sources of stress, especially when we don't talk about them. Do you get a lot of questions, Dr. June, about frequency of sex, what's normal or desire um, or sex drive or libido? One partner wants it twice a day. The other would be fine with twice a month. And, and in a situation like that, that desire discrepancy, there are bound to be issues. There's a lot of communication about sex where one does have a higher desire, higher drive than the partner. So there's a lot of um, communication issues that's received. You know, how do I, what do I say? How do I um, get my partner to be more interested? Those types of questions. 
Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. Dr. June is my guest. She's a syndicated advice columnist. We are talking about those subjects that you need to be talking about between the sheets, actually before you get between the sheets. Um, Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. June. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Uh, Thank you. Excellent. Pleasure. That's important. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) Bingo. Um, So something else that, um, and I I got a text. I did did want to uh, read that very quickly. Uh, Dear Maureen and Dr. June, thank you so much for this great segment. You hit the nail on the head. I would like to have sex 10 times a week. My wife would be happy with it 10 times a year. What do I do? Uh, as you say, it's, it's very difficult. I think education, which you mentioned earlier, Dr. June, um, is very helpful in that situation. Yes. Well, you know, there need, there's a question that needs to be asked, um, and I don't know if he's ever talked to his wife about it, but why is it that she wants to have sex so infrequently? Is it because she's tired? Is it something um, biological? Has her body changed as she's matured? And so it's not as enjoyable for her, a pleasure, as you said, it's pleasurable for her now. So these are things that needs to be addressed to determine the reason why there's a lack. Totally. Uh, And I think a lot of women haven't been educated about pleasure and they don't even really understand what they're missing. You know, as you said, your parents were um, open about sex and sexuality. And um, and so I think that, you know, people just get out of the habit and feel it's too much work or whatever. But I mean, it's a great question. What why is it or is it that he's just driving her crazy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that can happen too. That can happen too, the unresolved conflict. But oftentimes people who are in healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships, but they often will fantasize. And partners or spouses will have difficulty with people fantasizing. And, and oftentimes people believe that fantasy is cheating, is adultery. Um, why is this an important conversation to have for couples to talk about fantasies as opposed to just keeping them inside their heads. And, and some of those fantasies that people have, they may not be the best. You have to use discretion when you share your fantasies. But, but why is talking about these delicious secrets uh, important? And you're right. Some things um, you have to be careful disclosing and you may not um, want to fully disclose. However, that gives your partner an idea of what it is that is enjoyable for you. So when you're able to have that conversation, then the two of you may be, be, may be able to mesh um, together in the bedroom. The partner may be having a similar fantasy, and then you talk about it, you're like, oh, whoa, really? <laughs> you know? And so sometimes when you talk about it, you actually have a better connection and an understanding of what is needed by your partner. That's right. Like one of the couple might, you know, enjoy or have a fantasy about having sex in a public place. And, and maybe the partner might be uncomfortable with that. But but they can get to a compromise and maybe they can actually get busy on the be- on the balcony or do it on the deck, um, mm-hmm. you know, under the covers, you know, set up some lounge chairs or whatever, maybe come to some type of compromise about that. Mm-hmm. Or, you or know, maybe the, the partner actually has the same fantasy and you didn't know because you didn't even talk about it. 
Exactly. And then you go to the courthouse steps and there you go. <laughs> Life is forever ding, ding, changed. Ding. <laughs> exactly. Another uh, subject that can be uh, scary for people and, um, you know, what? Are, what is the uh, tipping point on this, um, you know, is cheating. Infidelity is another concept that seems black and white on paper to most people, but often it isn't in real life. And, you know, as we mentioned, I've heard many, many people say porn is cheating and fantasies are cheating. Um, But what counts as cheating to one person may well be within the realms of good, innocent fun to the other. I was talking to a patient recently and, and she said she didn't believe that her partner didn't cheat. Um, She was okay with him flirting with some this person that he was working with and sending these text exchanges and emails back and forth, but um, she felt it went further than that. So why is talking about what cheating is an important conversation? For exactly, we've got what like you thirty mentioned. seconds. I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> no! For exactly what you mentioned, one each person needs to know what their definition is of cheating. Exactly, and what they'll tolerate. How can people get in touch with you, Dr. June? They can go to my website, drjunehall.com, and, or they can go to my um, YouTube, Cooking Up Advice. you got questions, she's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. And sometimes it's about the health of marriages and relationships. Joining me on the line is family therapist, Dr. Mark Smith. We're going to decipher a little video clip that uh, I saw today. Uh, Good evening, Mark. How are you? I'm well, Maureen. Yourself? Happy Halloween. Oh, thank (laughs) you so much. (laughs) Yes. One of my favorite holidays, not. (laughs) No, I love all the decorations. (laughs) Love that. Um, And uh, yeah, it's been people just getting more and more creative and the, the sizes of the monsters and goblins are so much bigger like gigantic pumpkins you know everyone's mm-hmm. trying to outdo each other anyway you've got to do something in a pandemic so yeah. uh, let's focus on Halloween <laughs> um so I, I've asked you to come on thank you so much for coming on the show tonight uh, I know you do tremendous work with families and couples and um and I we talked uh was it last week just last week that That's we talked right. about Alec Baldwin, the tragedy that occurred on the film yep. set Rust, um, and the you know the which ended in the death of Helena Hutchins um, because Alec Baldwin accidentally pulled the trigger of a loaded gun that he thought was cold and it was hot, um, and he's been hiding out, if you will, or trying to get some rest, get away from people. We know he's had issues with the paparazzi in the past. It's well documented, well known. Um, but I was struck by his treatment of his wife, Hilaria, who um, is there supporting him, who is, you know, it, it, the, the paparazzi has reported, the media has reported that he's relying on his wife and children. And, and they went away to Vermont yeah. to, you know, to maybe just be alone, hopefully get away. But of course, the paparazzi follows him. And, you know, it's a, I cannot even imagine what he is going through. I cannot even imagine how, uh, how one can carry on. You know, I'm not, it would just be so horrific. He described her as his friend. And, and I yeah. understand that relationship between the, uh, 
a producer and a director of photography and and the director as well. And, you know, he talked about go- them going out for dinner and she was his friend. And I mean, it's just so in his children, this must be devastating. I mean, it, it's a horrific situation. It is. Yeah. And in and amongst all of this, of course, he's talking to the paparazzi because he thinks if he gives them something, he's not allowed to speak about the, the case, but if he gives them something, maybe they'll, they will leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if the listeners out there saw that piece, but, you know, Google it and see. But we've talked about how people treat their spouses. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I talked about um, this guy who just, well, I, 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 when I, I stayed at a stop sign too long and he just like laid on the horn and passed me and he was like giving me the finger and, <laughs> and all of that. And I just, my, my comment was, can you imagine if you were married to that guy? And, and a few people wrote in and said, you know, your comment hit home with me because I've been that guy. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, and, and it was nuanced today, but Hil- Hilaria, who was um, supporting him, tried to, interrupt and he treated her like she was not his wife i felt like he treated her not like somebody he respected or loved or cared for and that's when people have these anger issues and control issues that they have no boundaries i think i was a little bit more struck by it mark you and i discussed it before the show i was a little bit more struck by that than you were but what are your thoughts on have i (laughs) now that i have uh (laughs) basted the guy I mean, I think that there's obviously a history there uh, with Alec Baldwin in terms of the ways he's, he's treated former wives and the ways he's treated his daughter. And, you know, there's a certain kind of controlling aspect and an entitlement aspect. And that comes through to some degree, albeit, as you've already referenced, you know, both of these people are under a tremendous amount of stress. Um, you know, I would suggest that he's experiencing some PTSD having not only been on the set, been the one who had the, the weapon in his hand. And, um, and so in some ways, there's a lot of restraint being shown. I mean, also, I guess, the, the pressure of being a producer of the movie and potentially responsible for what happened to some degree or other. So there's a lot of layers to this. But I agree, there, there is this very interesting interaction between the two of them. And I can only imagine the, di- the conversations that go on between them uh, talking about other people on the set or on the production team or about the investigation. And there's a lot of talking about third parties and doing that kind of emotional triangle thing. And I see an aspect of this where he's trying to control the narrative and where she wants to jump in and he kind of shuts her down. That's, I think, the piece you're responding to. And um, Absolutely. That lack of control on his part, that lack of, you know, that, that he doesn't actually show deference for his wife, that it's it's and you you've used a great word that I think actually is um, applies in this situation when when couples whether it's a woman who treats her male partner this way or a, a female who treats her female partner a male treats his male partner yeah. male treats female whatever female to male it doesn't matter uh, that it knows no bounds um, but I just think that there is entitlement here. It's yeah. all about them. The rules aren't made for those people. And they have they lack that ability to actually be in control, if you will. And now the public, mm-hmm. myself included, has seen mm-hmm. this. And I think, yeah. you know, was anyone else struck by this like I was? Like I thought he was terrible to her. He's been he's been to anger management. He's uh-huh. been you know, he's been charged. He's been arrested. You know, 
And yeah. this is he treats this lovely woman, this lovely wife, this way. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I would see it somewhat differently because I think that given his personality and previous stories, it could have been a much more dramatic, albeit there is an undertone where, you know, he doesn't have to say very much to kind of, you know, it's like uh, um, calling her to attention, like, let me let me talk to this and, you know, shutting her down. Um, um, but she's she's also revved up. She's revved up about the reporters. You know, she gets very upset when the reporter um, doesn't know how to pronounce um, Helena's name um, or, or stumbles on that. And they both kind of jumped on um, on the reporter. And I think it was an indication of just how agitated they were having been chased down by these reporters as they were trying to get some refuge and a bit of time away um, in Vermont to get away from the intensity of it all. And um, I can imagine there might have been some fighting in the car prior to stopping to spend three minutes talking to the reporters just to get them off their back. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that uh, kind of thing happens in a lot of couples where one shuts the other one down publicly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd have walked away. (laughs) I don't care what he did. I would have been, like, out of there so fast, like, and... um, (laughs) But as you've intimated, intimated, I'm sure that's... um, a normal part of their relationship where he dominates, she kind of dances around and, you know, tries to find her a safe place within that. Um, And so I think they've done that dance many times where he's probably just shut her down and she's um, submitted. So yeah, until she won't, no, no, until until she won't won't any longer, like a lot of women, you know, I, I, I find a lot of, I shouldn't say just women, but people are in this situation and Mm -hmm. they have, they have been embarrassed. They have been, I've had couples who, you know, married for 20, 25, 30 years. And, you know, they just said, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the humiliation at dinner parties. I couldn't take the embarrassment. I couldn't take um, the spouse, whomever putting me down in front of other people. I couldn't take it anymore. And, and it was about the spouse, you know, the partner not feeling good about themselves. They want to put other people down when they do mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. what do you suggest to couples who find themselves in that kind of a situation where they're at the dinner party and, you know, they're embarrassed by their partner because they're saying negative things about the person yeah. they're supposed to care about? Well, and I think that this is where, you know, often in couples, there can be a certain degree of emotional uh, fusion where just because your partner is acting perhaps inappropriately doesn't mean it reflects on you as a person. So that your partner is responsible for their behavior. Let them be responsible for it. Um, and it, and if they want to talk about their discomfort about that, you do it later within the privacy of your relationship. You don't do it publicly. Publicly. Um, There is an aspect of this where I think he's very wanting to be very careful about uh, controlling the narrative because if she says something that potentially reflects on this investigation, um, you know, it could reflect poorly on him and put him in a bad situation. Now, that's not to say that this isn't perhaps part of their relationship uh, dance, right? That, you Mm -hmm. know, she needs to find, she needs to find a way to step up and to be strong in and of herself to, to stand, to be able to stand up against that. I mean, any in any relationship, both 
partners need to stand up for themselves. Um, I mean, and every relationship has sort of an emotional dance where, you know, that one defers to the other at given points in time. Now, the ones that are less healthy has one dominant partner and the partner and the other one's always deferring and losing a sense of themselves in the process. And that's the slow um, erosion of that relationship over time. Uh, absolutely. Un- until people can't take it anymore. Yeah, as exactly. yeah. you know, and that and then the person who has been doing that, you know, f- repeatedly for years is just gobsmacked. They're they're shocked. Yeah. You know, they they actually can't believe it. And they they're devastated when when yeah. somebody leaves them, even after that, that kind of behavior. And well, yeah. how is it? How does it go from being in love and, you know, having this, you know, typically, you're not typically, I shouldn't even say that after my no sex marriage, <laughs> YouTube, <laughs> uh, well, TEDx talk yeah, with, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't start out that way, but for some people <laughs> that, you know, well, it kind of starts yeah. out that way and it devolves. Yeah. Well, it's sort of death by a thousand cuts in the sense that um, usually early on in a relationship, one begins to defer to the other in small ways. Um, because they don't want to, they they don't want to experience the tension in the relationship. It could be something as small as, where where are we going to go for dinner tonight? And one always deferring to the other, or never being able to express their thoughts or opinions on important issues because it's going to create um, conflict or tension. Um, and then uh, more and more things get put in that basket of stuff you don't talk about because it it's uncomfortable. And then over the course of time, either the partner that defers all the time loses their sense of who they are because they're just uh, mirroring what they think the other one wants to hear, or the other one falls out of love because the person that they fell in love with is just non-existent. You know, they, 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 they've given up themselves for the sake of harmony. Um, yeah, And then they exactly. have a crisis. Yeah, yeah, which is which is tragic. I, if you don't mind staying on the line, I yep. just want to talk to you a little bit about self confidence and how mm-hmm. that can improve the health of a relationship. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show and this Halloween. My guest is Dr. Mark Smith. He is a family therapist. Uh, thanks for staying on the line, Mark. Sure. Uh, now you're, I gather, you're um, from your website that your visits are virtual these days, pretty much. They are, are, they, yeah. are you starting to see patients in the office again? Um, I am not at this time. I, I uh, would prefer not to be sitting in a room. Um, I just uh, don't know if I'm uh, ready to get back in the office. The virtual has been working pretty well for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I yep. do have to see some patients in my clinical practice, but for the most part, I do virtual mm-hmm. as well. But I, I am dressed up when I... <laughs> See patients with a gown yeah. and gloves and a mask and a face shield. <laughs> yeah, and there's the, an aspect of that which isn't very conducive to those sort of therapeutic conversations where you're all gowned the, up or whatever. This yeah. is true. This is true. This, <laughs> these are the people that I have to see. Exactly. Maybe, yeah, yeah. They I get need that. a pessary, yeah, yeah. Um, serviced or something like that or have a yeah. fitting for that or deal with bladder health issues. Um, but anyway, we're talking about self-confidence um, mm-hmm. and how important, because it seems to me that a lot of these people who have these anger issues, anger management issues, and Alec Baldwin has gone to anger management yep. school and uh, yeah. <laughs> as, as have a lot of people gone to, but doesn't mm-hmm. seem to help them um, very much. But it, it seems to me that they come off as that uh, better than everybody else, but they actually lack that self-confidence. So how important is self-confidence and to be with somebody who has confidence? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think when you're with somebody who has confidence, um, it can be challenging, especially if your confidence is low. And I think when you use the term self-confidence, I think it's the self part um, that's as important, if not more so, than the confidence part. That if somebody can work toward being a solid self, then they don't get stirred up when somebody else is perhaps not being at their best self or if somebody's being angry or if somebody's being unreasonable, that your your base is yourself, not on what the other person is or isn't doing. Um, But that's easier said than done. (laughs) But a lot of people... Um, they just tolerate, as you say, the years yeah. go on, other friends yeah. notice, other people notice, and they just tolerate it. Uh, they tolerate, you know, a lot of behavior, a lot of other behaviors too. But, but just, so right now, it's just that cutting, insulting, right. um, you know, just it, to embarrass them in front of other people. That it's a, slow, it's a bit of a slow boil, right? That if, if somebody was treated so poorly um, at the beginning of a relationship, they probably would not stay in it very long. And so in the, in the beginning, in these honeymoon periods, often both, I mean, there are some that are off the rails, but, you know, often both people are on their best behavior because they're trying to engage the other person in a relationship. And then this, this more um, um, unreasonable behavior starts to creep in, whether it's the anger issues or the, the, the violence issues or the controlling issues. And, as odd as it sounds, you know, we hear the story over and over again um, of the one who's on the receiving end of it. They kind of mm-hmm. think that it will change or they get seduced back into the relationship when the person is nice after the, the inappropriate behavior. And exactly. yet that person, has to, yeah, that person has to find a way to hold their own, even if it's just, just to say, um, um, you know, I'm willing to put up with this, but I'm not willing to put up with that. And to mm-hmm, be able to exactly. hold the line. Unfortunately, yeah. we're up against the clock right now. I'd love no to have worries. you back and delve a little bit deeper into this self-confidence yeah. issue because I think it's important. And, and, and people need to know what to say. You know, They need to have the words, yeah, find their voice exactly. to speak up against it. Thanks so much, Mark Smith. You uh, betcha. Thanks, Really Maureen. appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.